Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. City Walk Church, how we doing this morning? All right, we halfway awake. That's what's up. City Walk Church, how we doing this morning? We are officially awake this morning. Uh, so good morning to everybody. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Matt Lynch. And uh, maybe your first time visitor, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe you saw my Super Bowl ad commercial on Instagram, and that's what drew you in this morning. But for whatever reason you're here this morning, I personally just want to say thank you guys because there's so many different options you have on a Sunday morning, but you guys chose to get up out of bed in the windy, cold morning and pull up here to City Walk Church. So uh, glad that you guys are here. Uh, what I would like to do, as Cherie shared, this is a special Sunday. We are one church in two locations today, and they are now starting in seven minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray real quick for our family out in Edgewater and some of you guys that have been coming around for a while, you kind of know this is something that we have been planning from the beginning. Uh, when City Walk started five years ago, we knew we wanted to be a church that planted other churches, that raised up other leaders, that raised up other pastors, and planted churches after churches after churches. And so if you are new, you might be like, how are y'all planting another church? Y'all don't even have your own building yet. What's going on around here? These people are crazy. Well, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of our values of the church is we believe in being courageous. We believe that God calls us to have courage and have faith that is courageous. So yes, we don't have a building in Yuba City, but there are people in Edgewater who need to be reached, who need the love of God, who need a, a church community that's right outside their doors. And so we are walking by faith, and we're starting a new church over there. So we're going to pray for them and the team that's over there that's about to start in six minutes. So if you can, let's bow our heads. Uh, Father, we just thank you uh, for the gospel. We thank you for your love. We thank you for redeeming us, changing our lives, and making it possible for us to be in relationship with you. Um, God, you've called us to go and make disciples. You didn't say, God, that it had to be in a fancy building. You didn't say that it had to be in a temple. You told us to go and make disciples, whether that's in somebody's house, whether that's in a school, whether that just happens to be in a building, God. But at the end of the day, you have called us, God, to reach our communities with the love of God and with the truth that you have given us. So we pray for our team and our family out there at Edgewater. We pray for that community, God. We pray that they would feel invited and embraced and loved. And we pray, God, that you would use that team uh, through greeting, through worship, through the preached word, that somebody in that Edgewater community, God, meets you today. That is why we do what we do, so people can meet you in a life-changing way. So God, be with that team, be with that community, and change lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you guys may know this, and some of you guys may not know this. Again, my name is Matt Lynch, and I am 
a pastor's kid. Yeah, some of you guys got that look on your face. I was the terrible PK. You are absolutely right. I was the kid that thought he knew everything there was about following Jesus just because my daddy was a pastor. And oh, how terribly confused I was, right? I had a lot of things confused, misconstrued, and I was that kid that people were like, ain't your daddy a pastor? What you doing? But as I was matriculating through life, let me tell you, one of the things that used to get on my nerves is when people who I didn't really have a relationship with or maybe had a a light relationship with would come into my life and just start pointing out all the things I was doing wrong. You're not following Jesus, right? You blah, 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 blah. Or you're not supposed to be doing that. If you're a Christian, then blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, they were right, right? But the thing is, is when they came into my life like that with a pointed finger, it never motivated me. It never inspired me to get to know God more. In fact, when people came into my life like that, kind of pointing a finger, telling me everything I was doing wrong, it kind of just pushed me away more to the church, to this idea of following Jesus. Because even though I was confused, even though I wasn't getting things right, that approach just never really amounted to anything positive. And so some of you guys are in here right now, and you're like, amen. For you, you're like, shoot, that's why I stopped going to church for a long time. That, 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 that's why I had to take a season away of, of, of being around Jesus' followers, of being around the church, because maybe for you, you felt more judged than you felt shepherded and taken care of. You felt that every time you came into the building, people were kind of evaluating your life. How good of a believer are you? How, how polished are you? Are you saying the right Christianese talk? Are you walking the certain way? And maybe people were so like particular about everything that you did and trying to dissect your life that you didn't feel like you were actually taken care of and shepherded and walked with and taught and discipled. So you were like, man, I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. And so it kind of caused a little hesitation with how you engaged with Jesus. Maybe it caused a little hesitation with how you engaged with the church. And maybe it just caused a lot of confusion and questions. And, and, and maybe, like I said, it, just, it, it caused you to be like, I don't want that. If that's what being a Christian is, it's, it's trying to dissect people's lives and always telling them what's wrong and what's right and, and trying to force them to, to think a certain way. Like, maybe, maybe I don't want to be part of that. So good news is, if you feel that way, for the next couple of weeks, we are doing this series called Safe Spaces. And I'm excited about it because we're going to be looking at different interactions that Jesus had with certain people in the Bible. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus created a safe space for the people that he interacted with, for them to ask their big questions for them to deal with the big sins in their life, and for Jesus to help them solve the big needs in their life. So it's going to be a very, very helpful and practical message that I'm excited about. And I want to share you guys the tagline for this series. So the tagline for this series is this. Jesus creates safe spaces for us, and we are to create safe spaces for others. I'm going to say it again. Jesus creates safe spaces for us, 
and we are to create safe spaces for others. So as we look at the first interaction to start out this series, um, it's a familiar passage that most of you guys have probably heard of, maybe you've seen uh, on The Chosen if you watch that, uh, but it's the story out of John chapter 4 where Jesus interacts with this woman at the well. And we're going to just kind of pick this apart and just kind of learn about the way Jesus interacts with this woman and see how we can apply some of the things to our life. So if you have your Bible, you can open up. If you don't, it's all good. We always got it on the screen for you. Um, But we're going to read through this starting at John chapter 4, verse 1. So it says this. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. So we're going to pause right there, and basically what's going on so far is you got these Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They kind of controlled the religious climate of that day, Um, but they used their religious power for manipulation, for control, and they were just kind of... uh, making things difficult for people, and they really weren't necessarily teaching and discipling people. They were kind of just pointing their finger at people, kind of like we talked about. And so the Pharisees didn't really like Jesus because Jesus brought the authentic truth, and Jesus kind of opposed some of their ways, so they always looked at Jesus with a crooked eye. And so these Pharisees are seeing Jesus baptizing people and and, and growing in numbers, and Jesus like, you know what, bro? I don't need this uh, Pharisees all up in my business right now. I know there's going to be conflict. I don't like what I'm doing. You know what? My time has not come yet for what they're going to do to me because he already knew how the story was going to end. So he's like, you know, let's just go on to Galilee. So Jesus is going on into Galilee, and he tells his disciples, hey, you know what? We're going to go through Galilee. And verse 4 says something interesting. It says in verse 4 that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. Now, at surface level, you're like, okay, cool, yeah, Jesus had to serve in, or had to uh, go through, through Samaria, big deal. Well, when I read this, I got a really comic graphic mind, but if anybody likes anime in here, this is what's really going on right now. So in anime, I used to watch a show called Dragon Ball Z, and this is like when Frieza changes form, and then you see an animal, and everybody's just like frozen stiff, and they're looking, and they got that one sweat drop on their forehead, and like, oh my God, no! That's what going through Samaria was like for these people, okay? Samaria was actually a place that the Jews never traveled through. So when Jesus is like, yeah, guys, we're going to go through Galilee, uh, we got to go through Samaria, for them it was like, Ert? We're going through What? Samaria, we never travel through Samaria. Jesus, what are we doing? Why are we going to go through Samaria? Because here's the thing. The Jews viewed Samaria as a place of unclean people, second-class citizens, marginalized community, poor, impoverished, just a a group of people that were half-breeds, as you could say, because the Samarians, they were actually also had Assyrian blood in them. So it happens the Assyrians came and they uh, uh, took over the land and then they 
co-mingled with the Jews. So these people of Samaria, they weren't full-bred Jews. They actually had Assyrian blood in them. So the full-bred Jews were kind of like, y'all ain't as good as us, bro. Y'all got that Assyrian blood in you. We ain't even messing with y'all. So between these two cities, there's racism. There's classism. There's religious differences. And so the Jews were just like, we ain't even going to deal with it. Like, the Jews disliked Samaria so much that you were actually considered unclean to go into the temple by interacting with them in that city. So for Jesus to go through Samaria was a big deal for these Jews and for his disciples. And if you look at this map, Jerusalem is here, Galilee's up here, and they say that this is a projected 70-mile journey, right? So it's like going from here to Elk Grove, about 70 miles. And it's a straight shot if you go through Samaria, get there in 70 miles. But what's crazy is the Jews, like I said, they never traveled through Samaria. They wouldn't do it. Instead, they would take this long route where they had to cross the Jordan River twice to go around. Like, what in the world? And this actually added what they say projected up to another 40 miles of their travel. Like, how bad do you have to dislike somebody to travel an extra 40 miles to avoid them? That's like trying to go to El Grove and saying, nah, bro, I can't go through Natomas, man. Them streets is crazy. I'm not going through Natomas. So you go all the way through 65, you go all the way to Roseville, and then you hop on the 80 just to pass out just to get to El Grove. No one's doing that, especially if you're on a donkey or a horse. Like, no, no one, but... But this is what's going on. The climate was so tenuous that they were like, we're not going through. But Jesus is like, you know what? We're going through there. So the fact that it says Jesus had to go through Samaria is something that we need to look at. Because logistically, he didn't have to. So it's deeper than the logistics of getting to Galilee. Really, what John is saying when he's writing this is Jesus had to go to Samaria because Jesus had to honor the compassion in his heart for those that didn't know him. That's really what's going on. As much as the Jews avoided going to Samaria, Jesus knew there is a whole entire village and town of people who don't know me. And though you guys have racism in your heart, classism in your heart, Though the culture has said the Sumerians are not good people and we should avoid them, they need to know my father and they need to know what God can do for them. So we're going through Samaria today. Buckle up, people. So then we hop in here and we go back to the text and this is what happens. So they, they, they go through and they get to Samaria and verse 6 says this. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus is by himself. Verse 9 says, this is the woman's response. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So you could picture this woman. 
And just another little bit of backdrop, she's coming in at noon, which is a really, really hot portion of the day, which is kind of uh, the background text is she probably wasn't somebody who was highly accepted in society. And you'll find out why a little bit later as we read the text. So she would go to the well at the hottest part of the day to avoid being uh, treated poorly, to avoid being kind of seen, uh, because she had some social stigmas about her life. She had some social stigmas um, why people wouldn't want to interact with her. So she was going at the hottest part of the day, and she was probably doing this every day and probably never interacted with anybody, because at this part of the day, the well was always empty. Well, not with water, but with people. So she's doing her normal routine, coming to the well the hottest part of the day. When she pulls up and she sees Jesus, she's probably already thinking like, whoa, who that? <laughs> and then she recognizes that it's a Jew, and she's probably really like, that man's a Jewish man. What are he doing in Samaria? That's crazy. And she's probably just minding her own business, like, okay, there's a man over there, and he's a Jew. That's weird. But let me go ahead and, and go ahead and just get, get my water and mind my own business. And then all of a sudden, Jesus talks to her. Hey, can you give me a drink? And now she's really bugging like, Ert? <laughs> time out. First of all, I don't even know why you're here. Second of all, are you really talking to me? Are you asking me? Like, if you knew that I was Samaritan, why, why are you doing this? We don't even interact with people. And so for her, she had been used to being ignored. She'd been used to being mistreated. She'd been used to being the outcasted, marginalized person in society that it was really absurd for her that a man that was a Jew would be interacting with her because she knew that he was putting himself in a position to where all of his folks would judge him. And all of his folks would be like, I cannot believe you talking to that Samaritan woman. I can't believe you, Jesus. So she knew that he was putting himself in a situation and so she's confused, like, is this, is this cat trying to get himself exiled? This was big, and she knew it. And so Jesus responds and answers in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket, bro. And the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? So obviously there's some confusion going on right here. Because Jesus is talking in spiritual concepts about living water and about the Holy Spirit and about a relationship with God, filling her soul and providing her with everything that she needs. But she doesn't understand that she's only comprehending from a natural standpoint. And so when she's thinking living water, she's like, okay, living water? In that culture, living water was the water that was flowing downstream from a mountain, and it was the freshest, most pure water. It's like the Fiji water that you see in the gas station. It's like the, the Fiji alkaline blend. It's like the purest water. So in her mind, she's like, living water, how? Where? And you don't even have a bucket. So there's some confusion taking place here. And so what I realized through studying this, man, is we have the same kind of interactions with Jesus in our life. We have interactions with Jesus where he's speaking to our heart. He's trying to do things. He's trying to help us to understand spiritual concepts. 
sometimes we don't understand what he's trying to accomplish. And so there's a, a disconnect of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do and how we respond because we don't understand what Jesus is trying to do. And so I'm going to give you an example from my own life. And I tell you guys every time, I tell on myself when I stand up here. So I'm about to tell on myself again. Buckle up, people. Here we go. So I've told you guys before, in my life personally, around 18, 19, 20 years old, Jesus began to flip my life upside down. Told you I was a pastor's kid doing a bunch of crazy stuff, whatever. We don't got to talk about the details of all that, okay, because I'm redeemed and I'm saved now. All right, people? All right? All right? But Jesus began to flip my life upside down at 18, 19, 20 years old. Those three years, a lot was taking place. And one of the things that Jesus was turning upside down in my life was my view of smoking weed. Yeah, this is California. I understand, but we're going to talk about it today. So he was changing my life about how I viewed smoking weed. Now, I was somebody who was smoking faithfully every single day. It was part of who I was, what I did. Um, Didn't think twice about it. And all of a sudden, Jesus started to convict me for smoking weed. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, time out. Like, where is this weird? Why do I feel this way about something I've done for, for so long? And I was one of them cats. This was 20 years ago, people. But I was one of them cats that literally, just to give you a picture of how this had my life so confused, I would tell my friends, bro, I'm about to say, yeah, I'm going to smoke weed with my kids. Like, well, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. There ain't nothing wrong with smoking weed. I'm going to be the one that teaches my kids how to. Like, I, this is literally how far gone this guy was. And so all of a sudden, I was starting to get this conviction, and Jesus started to challenge this part of my life, and it was new. And I'm, like, so confused that I literally would say dumb stuff like this. Bro, this weed strong as a mug. It got me out here contemplating my whole life right now, dog. This stuff is strong as a mug. Like, I would literally say stuff like that, like not understanding that what Jesus was actually saying was, Matt, if you knew who I was, if you understood what I'm trying to do in your heart, you know that I have living water for you. And so as I studied this and as I looked, I was like, man, how often are we like the woman at the well where Jesus is offering us something. He's offering us a relationship with him. He's offering us living water. He's offering us a relationship with him that changes everything about us from the inside out. But because we don't understand, we suppress that conviction. We wrestle with that conviction. We turn our backs on that conviction and say, nah, I've been smoking weed my whole life, Jesus. I ain't putting this down. And maybe for you, it's not smoking weed. Maybe it's not drugs. That's my story. Maybe for you, it's something else. You can fill in the blank. Maybe it's something you watch, something you listen. Maybe it's, maybe it's the gossip. Maybe it's the greed. Maybe it's the hatred for people that don't think like you or they're on the other side of the political spectrum as you, and you just can't stand it. You think that all people on this side are going to hell and all people on this side are going whatever it is. Maybe it's something different for you, but maybe God is trying to iron out parts of your life through his spirit and through conviction. And maybe because of the disconnect, you don't understand, so you turn, you suppress, and you ignore. But the thing that's so beautiful about our God is he's so patient with us. 
though we sometimes ignore his conviction, though sometimes we act like there's a volume button and we put God's voice on mute, that don't work. <laughs> right? God, I'm just going to turn you down a little bit. He's still right there. I see you. You can't turn my voice down. And we just try to ignore those emotions. We try to ignore those, those, those vo- the voice of God in our life. He's so patient. And he keeps coming back. And he gives us an opportunity to receive what he has for us. So let's hop back in this text, and let's kind of just now start to look at, okay, where is this interaction going to go? Jesus offers this woman living water. She doesn't really understand the spiritual context of what Jesus is trying to do. And let's just see how this continues to play out. So in verse 12, she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. So basically what she's saying is, ain't no way that you can offer her anything better. This right here, this well right here, this well came from Jacob. Ain't no way you got nothing better than this. This well came from Jacob. And so she's like, who, you, who are you trying to tell me about this living water? And then Jesus responds again in verse 13. Jesus says, well, let me tell you, everyone who drinks from this water, they're going to be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus got bars, man. And he says, in fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So Jesus, what he's trying to get her to understand is what I have for you, actually, nothing else can compare. I know it's hard for you to understand what I'm trying to tell you because I'm talking in spiritual terms, but if you let go of that right there, that water that comes from the well, and you accept this living water, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And so after Jesus' second attempt at explaining this living water, she kind of starts leaning in a little bit. She doesn't fully understand, but she starts leaning in a little bit, and she starts investigating. And so in verse 15, she says this. Sir, the woman said, give me this living water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here and draw water. So even though she doesn't quite understand completely what Jesus is saying, the fact that he was like, hey, if you drink this again, you're never going to be thirsty again. You'll never have to come back to the well. She's like, well, hold up. Wait a second, Jesus. You tell me if I take this living water that you have, I'm never going to be thirsty again. I'm never going to have to come back to this hot place and draw from this well. You sound crazy, but give me that living water, please. Because I'm tired of coming out into this hot place, getting this water out, and you said I'm never going to be thirsty again. So she's kind of like, you know what? Run me that water, I guess. But then things get really interesting, and the conversation starts turning a little bit. And as soon as she expresses that she wants some of this living water, Jesus actually gives her a directive first. Verse 16, Jesus says, Yeah, go call your husband, he told her, and then come back. Now, could you imagine, like, the mass confusion now in this interaction? Like, wait a second. 
You just like really like buttered me up for this living water, got me super excited about this thing that's supposedly going to quench my thirst for the rest of my life. And then the next statement, you say, go get my husband. And for some of you guys that know the story, the reason why this was such a weird interaction is because she didn't have a husband. She had homeboy living with her, but they wasn't married. So she's like, uh, weird I don't even have a husband. And so this interaction gets a little weird because she's now wanting to try this living water. And Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. But inside she knows, like, I don't really even have a husband. What happened to the living water? (laughs) Why are you talking about go get my husband? And so here's what's happening. In order for us to receive God's best, we have to recognize what's in the way. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. Again, Jesus is talking in a whole entire different paradigm as her because he's talking about spiritually. He's talking about her soul. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that her soul never has to go anywhere else except for the place where there's living water, which is in a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is trying to get her to understand that. She doesn't quite understand that. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, in order for us to receive God's best, we need to recognize what's in the way. And so Jesus kind of brings something to the surface that he needs to address in her life. He brings something to the surface that spiritually is blocking her from receiving what God's best is. And so you can imagine, like I said, if you know this story, we're going to find out in a minute. But this woman actually had five different husbands. And so she kind of lived a lifestyle where she looked at men to be the satisfaction for her life. She looked at men to be what fulfilled the void in her heart. She looked at men to be the place of comfort for her heart and for her soul. And so Jesus had to bring that to the surface to say, hey, I know you're looking for your spirit and your soul to be comforted in this type of way through men and through relationship and through whatever you're doing behind closed doors with them, but I have something better for you. But in order for you to receive my best and what God has for you, we got to address this. So that's what's taking place. So let's hop back in in verse 17. She says, I don't have a husband. (laughs) And Jesus says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus says. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so we can learn from this is by this interaction, she's probably come to a place where she feels safe around Jesus to the point to admit where she's at. Like, could you imagine, like, if she didn't come to a place where she's, like, somewhat trusting him, somewhat kind of leaning into who he is and what he's talking about, she probably would have been like, boy, get out of here, (laughs) grab her pail and left. But she kind of leans in and she says, you know what? I don't even have a husband. And the fact that she answers that so honestly gives the illustration that there must have been some kind of, because we don't have the full 
we weren't there, so we don't have the full thing, but there had to be some kind of connection to where she was feeling safe being in his presence to where she can admit, you're right. I don't have a husband. And so the next couple of verses, we're going to kind of paraphrase, but then she kind of starts asking some theological questions. So she's like, hey, you know what, Jesus, so, um, you know, the Jews say that we're supposed to worship in the temple. Our people say we're supposed to worship. She's asking these theological questions, and she's trying to figure out what is worship supposed to look like, where is worship supposed to take place, and Jesus basically says, hey, here's what you need to know about worship. The main thing you need to know about worship is it must be done in spirit and in truth. And he kind of leaves her with that. And then in verse 28, it says that the woman left her jar, her water jar. She went back into the town and she told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and they made their way to him, him being Jesus. So the last thing that happens in this interaction, like I said, is we, we see this woman, she's offered living water. She doesn't really understand. And then Jesus kind of helps her understand some theological stuff. And then she goes back to the people and she starts witnessing like, hey, yo, I think the Messiah is over here. And she starts to just explain what Jesus was doing in her life. And she becomes a witness. And so there's such a, there's so many powerful elements to this statement because what I've learned is Jesus's interactions are not for us to look at as what happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus's interactions are for us to learn the way he wants to interact with us to this day. So we don't have to look at this text as something historical. We need to look at this text as something for today to understand how does Jesus want to engage with me? And so what we can learn is from the very beginning what we started talking about is Jesus creates safe spaces for us, and we are to create safe spaces for others. So here's what I want to highlight from Jesus' interaction. Three things. You ready? One, compassion leads the way. Note that. Two, patience helps us stay. And three, truth changes the day. So when we look at this idea of compassion, we've already kind of shared this. It was Jesus' compassion for the lost that brought him to this place in Samaria. It was the compassion of the Lord living in Jesus where he was like, you know what? We're not going to bypass Samaria today. There's people that don't know me. There's people that are hurt. There's people that are broken. There's people who've been marginalized by the community. And I want to go there because the compassion of my heart is leading me to those that need to know my father. So compassion leads the way. And so the question is, does the compassion of the Lord lead you to the lost? Or do you avoid them? Think about that for a second. Does the compassion of the Lord cause you to want to go to those that are lost? Or do you spend your life avoiding the marginalized community? Do you spend your life avoiding certain groups of people? 
that don't think like you, that don't look like you, that don't got money like you, that don't got clothes like you, that don't got cars like you, that whatever it is, do you spend yourself trying to stay in this safe little Christianese bubble where everybody just is the same? Or does the compassion of the Lord well up inside of you where you say, I got to go to the people that don't know him, no matter what people think about me? Because Jesus risked what people would say about him to go where people needed him. Question number two, are you burdened for those at your job that don't know the Lord? Are you burdened for them? Man, I interact with you almost every day at work, and I know you don't have a relationship with God. Does that do something inside of you? Does compassion well up? Or are you just kind of, eh, they don't know the Lord. Sucks for them. Just avoid them. I'm just going around. I'm going to take the 65 to get to Elk Grove. I'm not going through Natomas. Question three. Are you burdened for this community and the thousands of people that don't know the Lord? There's many people that are waiting for someone to interact with them, love on them, greet them, engage with them, in a way that shows Jesus. Because we do a good job talking about Jesus, but what the world is looking for is people to show them Jesus. So in our community, are you burdened for those that don't know the Lord? And here's the truth. There's not a people group on this planet that Jesus is okay with you avoiding. There's not a people group on this planet that Jesus is okay with you being like, oh, yeah, you can avoid them. Oh, yeah, Matt, he just got out of jail. Yeah, avoid him. He's not safe. Oh, Matt, uh, they're homosexual. Avoid them. Yeah, they're not safe. Oh, Matt, they do drugs. Avoid them. They're not safe. Oh, Matt, he ain't got the same color skin as you. Avoid them. They're not safe. There's not a people group on this earth that when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, I'm glad you avoided them, bruh. When we get to the gates, if he says that, then you you can find me. Find me. Matt, you said that. It ain't going to happen. He's waiting for us to engage the marginalized community. What the drug dealer needs is somebody to not judge him, but somebody to walk with him. What the homosexual needs is somebody not to judge him, but somebody to walk with him. Because it's not you that could change anybody anyways. Because what happens is we look at people as if we can change them, and we say, oh, I can't change that, so we avoid them. It ain't you changing them anyway. What they need is for you to love them, and God changes them. So why are we avoiding people? Jesus wants us to interact with people, and by the power of his spirit living within us, they see Jesus, and Jesus changes them by us just living. So does the compassion of the Lord lead you to take a risk and engage in the marginalized community, knowing that Jesus living in you will inspire that person or that group or that family to want to get to know the Lord. Second thing is patience. So one thing we can note about this interaction is when the woman didn't understand what was going on, Jesus showed patience. Like, when she didn't understand the spiritual concept, Jesus wasn't like, oh, my gosh, she's such an infant. Yikes, she doesn't get it. I don't got time to try to get her to understand. 
right? He was really patient with her. And if you've been around for a while, we have a mission statement as a church that I think we need to adapt personally as well. So if you've been around CityWalk, you've heard this phrase before, but our mission statement as a church is this. We are going to be walking with people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Walking, not running, not pushing people into relationship with Jesus, not shoving people into relationship with Jesus, not dragging people into relationship with Jesus. Like Our call as a church is we want to walk with people. Some people walk this fast. Guess what? Some people walk this fast. But as a church... And as an individual, what does your patience look like with those growing in their faith? Are you walking alongside them? Or are you like, man, you're just not getting it. I've told you six times you shouldn't be dating that fool. And you're still dating that fool. I ain't got time. You know what? I, and we give up. How many times do I got to tell you to stop? And if you're a parent in here... You know exactly what I'm talking about, man, because you could tell your kids 700 times, 700 times. But if the boy is only five years old, guess what? He's going to act like a five-year-old. And you got to be patient with his growth. you got to be patient with his development, because if you're expecting a five-year-old to act like a 15-year-old, it's not happening. If you're expecting a 15-year-old to act like a 25-year-old, it's not going to happen. But you got to have patience and create a space where people can grow into who God is calling them to be. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's been so patient with us. I know the Lord's been patient with me. Good Lord, if y'all knew me. Woo-wee. But he's been so patient with me. So who am I to not be patient with others as they grow in their walk? Last thing is truth. So notice in this interaction, now Jesus didn't shy away from bringing the truth to the light. Like he wasn't going to ignore the fact that she had five different husbands sleeping around, shacking up with this dude. Like he wasn't going to ignore that. But if you pay attention to his interaction, he was very sensitive about the timing. It was more important for Jesus to love and engage and make her feel safe and in a place where they can talk about real stuff before he brought the real stuff to the light. What's interesting is he shared the solution to her sin before he shared the problem with her sin. Let me say it again. Jesus shared the solution to her sin before he shared the problem with her sin. All he was doing was saying, God got something better. You ever heard of living water? God got something better. God got something better. He didn't roll up being like, yes, I'm Jesus the prophet. You got five husbands. You're sinning. You're living with one right now. You're having sex with them, and you probably should act right. You are not holy. You are not righteous. He knew all that already. He's God. He knew it all. But he just kept offering her Jesus living water, until she got to a point where she was like, you know what? I need some of that. And so he didn't shy away from the truth, but he was very sensitive with the timing. And so for some of us, 
God is wanting to speak, and God is wanting to help you see the truth, but you can see his patience and how he's calling you closer to him. And so it's up for us to do the same thing as we interact with the community and the world behind us. Some of us just need to talk about the goodness of the Lord more. For some of us, every time we come around, people are like, man, all they try and do is dissect my life. If we speak more about Jesus and more about his goodness, I think people will be more interested in getting to know him. But if we talk about people's problems more than we talk about the solution to their problem, how are they going to believe that the solution is actually the solution? But if you're constantly telling people how good God is, what God is doing in your life, they're going to see and they're going to hear, and that's what's going to draw them. So when we look at this, if you're here today or you're watching online, probably two or maybe more things are are taking place right now. You might see yourself, man, I'm the Samaritan woman in this. Jesus done pulled up to my spot. Or you might look at this and say, he already pulled up to my spot, but I need to start interacting more like he did. So I want to take us back to the tagline for this series one more time. Jesus creates safe spaces for us, and we are to create safe spaces for others. So if you're skeptical, if you're someone who's like, I really don't know where I am with this whole faith journey, and you don't know how to really understand the voice of God and the convictions in your spirit and the challenges that he brings to maybe certain thought processes, to certain desires, to certain motives, and how the Holy Spirit is kind of moving. If, if, you're, if you're here today and you just kind of are feeling that tug in that pull, I want to remind you of this. In order to receive God's best, you have to recognize what's in the way. So for some of us, what's in the way is that we haven't accepted Jesus. And that's the first thing that he's trying to work out in our hearts. You may have been coming to church for a long time, or maybe you've been avoiding coming to church, and maybe you're here today, or maybe you're listening online, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying you need a relationship with Jesus as soon as possible. You need to invite me in to your heart and allow me to rewire your motives, your thoughts, your pursuits. Maybe that's you. Or maybe, like I said, you're like, man, if I'm going to be honest with you, I need to do a better job creating safe spaces. Maybe you, maybe you look at your interactions with your family members, and you're like, yep, I avoid Uncle Ray Ray, I avoid my brother, I avoid my cousins, I avoid all these people because they just, their life is just kind of <laughs> crazy. I ain't got time for that. And you just, maybe you look at your family and you just realize, I've avoided a lot of people. 
Maybe you look at your climate at work and you say, you know what, you, you avoid a lot of people at work. You avoid certain people in the community or people that don't think like you think. And may, may, maybe the Holy Spirit is challenging you today, engage in a different way. Engage. Create a safe space. Because here's the thing, most people know that you're a believer. So what you do in your interactions is actually painting a picture for them on what they believe about a Jesus follower. So if you avoid them and don't engage and don't love them, they're thinking, that's a Christian thing right there. They ain't got real love. They got that fake love. They won't even talk to me. They're just dissecting my life. They're just trying to pick apart all the bad things that I do. I'm not good enough to be in their circle. I'm never invited to their birthday parties. They never invite me to their house. I'm not good enough to step foot in their door. Yep, that's the Christian thing to do. Maybe God is saying, hey, let's engage with the community differently. Let's engage with those in our family differently. Let's engage with the marginalized community different. And just so you guys, this might run somebody out the door right now, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I literally pray and ask God, send the most marginalized community here to this place. Send them, Jesus. Because if they don't know that they can be loved on and that there's a safe space for them, how are they ever going to see Jesus? If we don't create a safe space for the marginalized community, they're always going to think that there's not a space for them in Christianity. There's not a space for them to get to know God. So I pray and I ask God, send the homosexuals, God. Send the one that just got out of jail, God. Send the person who's on drugs right now, might be high in the sanctuary, God. Send them. Because I know your spirit and I know your power and I know that they'll be different. I know that you can do work. I know greater is your spirit than anything else on this planet. I know that you can offer them something, God, that can change their life forever. So send them, Jesus. Because they need to know that they're loved. They need to know that this is a safe space. So maybe as you look at this upcoming week, maybe you just ask yourself, how can I create safe spaces? Jesus has created a safe space for me. I once was lost, now I'm found. My life used to be this, now it's this. And for some of us, we don't got to look back too far. Yesterday I did this, and God woke me up this morning. Fresh new mercies. So Jesus is asking us, create safe spaces. As I do for you, you do for others. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy to be praised. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on that cross. You gave up your life. You became extremely uncomfortable to make sure that we can find comfort in the Father's arms. And I pray, Father, that in this place right now, if we don't know you, Father, that you would just encourage us 
that you would love on the person who is battling right now, God, about accepting you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you would speak directly to their heart and let them know that you are a safe space for their big questions. You are a safe space for the big sin in their life. That you are a safe space for the big needs that they have, God. And no matter who you are in this place or listening online, Jesus is a safe space for you to run to. And if you feel like today's the day and you want to invite Jesus into your life, you can do that right now where you're at, sitting here in this sanctuary or online. All you have to do is just admit, admit to Jesus God, I have sinned. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. I've ignored your voice. I've suppressed it, Jesus. I know I've been doing things my way, God, and I admit my sin. I admit that I am apart from you. I admit that I don't have a relationship with you. I admit, God, that sin exists in my life. I admit that, Jesus. And then believe Believe the truth of the message that God sent Jesus for that very reason. To be the sacrifice for that sin that exists in our hearts. That God sent Jesus to be that sacrifice. To shed his blood. To die on that cross. To be resurrected from that grave that those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, that those who believe will have living water to quench the thirst of their soul from now to eternity. Believe the offer of salvation and believe the message of Jesus. And then just call out to him. Say, God, here I am. Here I am, Jesus. I need you in my life. I admit, I believe, and I call out to you. I choose this relationship with you, Jesus. I choose to make room for your Holy Spirit to do what needs to be done, to wash me, to sanctify me to heal me, to deliver me, to renew me. I choose, Jesus, to open up my heart for you to have your way. If you prayed that prayer, I encourage you. I encourage you. Fill out that decision card. Meet with us. Hand that to the next steps table and allow us to walk with you. We won't drag you. We won't push you. We won't shove you. We're inviting you into a safe space for you to be loved on, for you to be encouraged, for you to be taught, not judged, for you to be shepherded, and not judged. We are inviting you. 
And if you are here today and you would say, I've accepted Jesus before. I have a relationship with Jesus. I know I'm saved. But maybe there's some ways that you can create some safe spaces for the people around you. Whatever the Holy Spirit reveals, make room. Maybe you need to ask God for help. God, help me to walk in a deeper level of humility where I'm not self-righteous and prideful and judging those around me and dissecting their lives and thinking that they're messy and marginalized. And maybe we need to just ask God for help. Say, Father, teach me how to love the way you love. May my life be led by compassion, Father. May you grant me the patience, Father, to walk with people as you do the work in their life. And Father, may you give me the courage when the time is right to share the truth. May you give me the courage when the time is right, Father, to have those tough conversations. But teach me, Lord, to lead with love, lead with compassion, to be filled with patience, and to create safe spaces for people to know you and be loved by you. Father, we need you. We love you. You are worthy to be praised. Have your way in our life, God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.